One of the things that I have seen behind the number one issue for people being able to navigate their career behind confidence is influence. And one of the things I have seen leaders do is they try to push their way into a situation and show people their capability. But one of the things that I have now realized is that sometimes leaders, rather than pushing their way to have more influence, might they listen more before actually speaking. And when you do speak, speak from the standpoint of this is your proposal to solve an issue, solve the risk increase the opportunity and by how much. And when you come forth with those kinds of thoughts in a well thought out methodical delivery, people start listening. But here's a few tips. You might want to make sure that you use the language that they typically use because when you sound similar to them, they are more receptive to your words. But don't lose sight of the fact of what you believe is true, your language, your behaviors, what you think is important to be able to move a proposal or a situation forward. Use your language. And the reason why I say that is over time, if you start hearing people say the same things that you do and start using the language, you see how you are influencing and evolving the situation. Now, it's a tricky thing. It it takes time to learn how to influence in a positive way that is not something that is seen as bushy and people feel maybe tricked. Influence is a powerful tool after you have your confidence. And I can't wait for you to take in all this amazing conversation from my interview with Bob Berg. It is full of actionable tips. You're going to love it. Let's listen now. When you think about it, influence on a very, very basic level can be defined as the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. That's its definition. But you know, Deb, I don't believe that that's its essence, okay? The essence of influence, what we would call genuine influence, the essence is pull. Pull as opposed to push. As in the the saying, how far can you push? a rope. And the answer is not very fast or very effectively, which is why great influencers don't push. You know, you never hear someone say, wow, that Tom or that Mary, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people. No, she has a lot of pull with people because that's what influence is. It's pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people first to themselves and only then to their ideas. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, where I get to speak to amazing people week after week and bring their insights to you. And I know you're going to love this podcast. And if you do, please subscribe rate, review, download. The downloads have been amazing. I'm sincerely grateful. So we can continue to bring you great programming. And just know, 
I am here to help the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow navigate challenges with confidence. And today, it is my honor to bring on my amazing guest, Bob Berg. For over 30 years, Bob Berg has been successfully showing entrepreneurs, leaders, and sales professionals how to communicate their value and accelerate their career and business growth. And although for years he's been best known for his sales classic, Endless Referrals, it's his business parable, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann that has created a worldwide movement. And while part of a four-book series, The Go-Giver itself has sold more than a million copies and translated into 30 languages. He's also the founder of The Go-Giver Community Network, the first of its kind online business community created for the Go-Givers. He's an advocate, supporter, and defender of free enterprise, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. And so he's an unapologetic animal fanatic, served on the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption and Clinic, and his hometown is Jupiter, Florida. It is my pleasure, Bob, to welcome you onto the show. Oh, thank you, Deb. The pleasure and honor is mine. Thanks for having me. So for my listeners, I am so excited. You know, when I found Bob and people have said, you've got to read The Go-Giver, you've got to look at his work. I hadn't. Yeah. And then when I finally, he arrived at a place and I saw his work on social media, I said, oh my, this has to come to my audience because while a lot of his work is in the sales space and how to create amazing businesses, a lot of those insights are actionable and relevant to anybody, regardless of where you're at in your career as well as your leadership. So Bob, I give you the floor, introduce yourself to my audience a bit about yourself personally and the journey and the work that you're doing now to serve others. Well, I began as a broadcaster first in in radio and sports, and then I got a job as a uh, news guy in Midwestern United States. I worked my way up to the late night news anchorship and was doing that for a while, but there was a real challenge. And that is, I just wasn't very good at it. Now, I could read the news that, you know, that wasn't an issue, but I was certainly not a journalist. I was 24 years old. I didn't really understand the news and, and I, I just didn't care at that time. You know, about <laughs> and, and so I, I, I soon realized that that was not going to be the direction that I'd be, I'd be headed. So I got a job in sales really just to make some money because I had nothing else going on. And, you know, that now the issue with that is that I had had no formal sales training experience. And apparently the company I was working for didn't either because they certainly didn't share it with me. And so I was on my own and it was just a matter of, you know, go out and sell. right? And I really didn't know what I was doing there. And so I floundered for a few months until I I was in a bookstore one day looking for something. And I, I came across a couple of books on sales, which doesn't sound like a big deal now because sales books are, are, you know, are out there everywhere, which is great. But Back then, 40 years ago, uh, that wasn't the case. And unless you knew where to look, you just you didn't know. And so I came across these two books on sales, and that encouraged me right there. Because I'm like, what? There's actually a way to sell? I hadn't <laughs> been told this, right? And so the, the two books were, were by Tom Hopkins and Zig Ziglar, two of the icons in, in, in sales. And, I, you know, Deb, I like to say I did not read those books. I devoured them. After work each day, I would sit down with those books and I would highlight and I would notate and I would rehearse and I would practice and I would just, and I mean, into the wee hours of the morning. I mean, I just absorbed it. 
And within a few weeks, my sales began to go through the roof. And, uh, you know, which, which is a good lesson in and of itself, because what it tells us is if we have a methodology to work with, then we really place ourselves in a position to succeed. It's really nothing more than following a system. I personally define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. The key is predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of B, then you know all you need to do is A and continue to do A and continue to do A, and you'll get the desired results of B. That's a system. And so that was working. Now, of course, you always want to make sure that the system you're using is congruent with your values and and, and so forth. And, and of course, those two, two of the greatest teachers of sales. But the best part was that was learning that sales is not just the how-to aspect. It's the, it's the building yourself from the inside aspect. So I began getting all these, these classics of personal development from Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People to Hill's Think and Grow Rich to Mandino's The Greatest Salesman in the World to Klassen's The Richest Man in Babylon to Maxwell Maltz's Psycho-Cybernetics. And I mean, just this is where my education really began. And I loved it, right? And I love the idea of being able to serve others with a great product or service. And, and so all these things, you know, clicked. And I did this for, you know, for a number of years, eventually worked my way up to sales manager of a company. And I then, you know, kind of morphed into a, a career teaching others how to sell. And it's, and it, it, it's, it's kind of built on that. It's now more about relationship building. It's communication skills. It's influence and positive persuasion. And just a lot of things that are fun for me to continue to learn. I'm a, a you know, I'm an ongoing student. That part's never done. And I can tell from the <laughs> amazing library that you have from that. So that just proves the story. But I have two similar but different questions in all of your 40 years of self-education, hard knocks, et cetera, and all the techniques that you have learned from others. What is one or two things that has never changed? From the time you were an initial student of sales, what's what has never changed that you have carried forward? That I've carried forward? Well, mm-hmm. I think that's a desire to know that I'm bringing value to the person who I'm serving. I mean, I think it begins it begins and ends there. You've got to really know, you've got to really feel as though you want to make a difference in that other person's life. All right. Very grounding for me because that is the mantra, even though I'm not necessarily a a salesperson, but yes, I am. I am a person that's trying to have a greater magnitude. So the more that I can build those relationships, and while some people might say you're foolish giving, 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 and serving, 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 you need a viable business in order to continue and be predictable. But there is just something about just giving and feeding the collective and building on that because you never know how it's going to build those relationships, that respect, and how it might come back and help with the sales. Oaks, well, let me, if I, if I may, just yeah, please. Uh, go into that a little bit, because I don't think there is anything dichotomous between providing value to others, having a focus on providing value to others, and earning a very, very good income, having a very successful business. In fact, I'd say the two go together in terms of, you know, whenever you're working within a the basically free market economy, we're really not, but we are mostly free market economy driven. And so, because, and here's why, okay. And I say this whenever I speak at sales conferences, it's one of the first things I'll say. And that is nobody's going to buy from you 
because you have a quota to meet. Nobody's going to buy from you because you need the money. And nobody's going to buy from you just because you're a really nice person. They're going to buy from you because they believe that they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And I would say the same thing to leaders. No one's going to follow you because you would like to build an empire or build your business or whatever. Nobody's going to follow you because you want your business to make enough money to send your kids to a great college. Nobody is going to follow you. Just no, they're going to follow you. They're going to buy into your mission. They are going to be committed to your mission because they believe their life is being touched in a way that's going to make them better, that's going to make them happier, that's going to make them more fulfilled. So I'm getting goosebumps right now. And I sincerely, this is why I interview you, because it's inspirational for me as well, being a business owner. I am hellbent on the value that I'm bringing. I am kicking off the drop-in collective, bringing together C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow who just need a place for which they can be educated, gain awareness, but also collectively solve each other's issues because I don't want them to struggle as much. I want them to spend more time doing the things they do. And you know what? People are starting to follow and it feels amazing because I want that one-to-many to be able to provide that value. So kudos, so appreciate that. But I'm also curious, and then we're going to get into all the amazing speaking topics that you do have for people, is that then what was that one unique thing that after all of the sales, education, trying, and tribulations that you say, this is what's missing, this is what different is different, and this is what makes Bob Berg special? Well, I think if there's anything that I bring to the table that's a little bit different and maybe distinguishes me is that because I am not a fast learner, okay, and I'm real, I'm truly not, I tend to be a really good teacher because I'm very empathetic. I can, I can get on another person's level and sort of feel where they're at. You know, it, it's sort of like the athlete, the great natural athlete, you know, who is not necessarily a great coach after their playing days are over, right? It's the, the great scholar who's not necessarily a good teacher. Why? Because that athlete, that scholar, they just can't understand why someone isn't able to just, you know, pick up a bat and, or throw or, or uh, you know, be able to rattle off numbers and work things out in there, right? And so I, I think that part of being a slow learner gives me that empathy to be able to teach in a way that I can bring everyone along. You know what I love about that is I was scared like heck. When I had to do some technical statistical training where I was smart enough to understand it, but then to teach it, <laughs> oh my, I actually had to take the concept and break it down into its most simplest pieces and anagrams so I could even understand it. And by the way, speak it or teach it to people where English was not their primary language. When I brought it to a level of simple, concise understanding because I had to teach it, that's what connects with people. So I appreciate that. You don't have to be the expert, but be able to see how we can connect with humans and impart new knowledge or thoughts. Love that. <laughs> so you have so many amazing topics, and I wanted to dig into these because a lot of my audiences have challenges when in their daily life, they're always trying to influence, sell an idea, move people from A to B. And one of your areas of speaking around genuine influence is control your emotions and turn an adversary into an ally. I mean, 
in our profession, we have to move people, make changes. And sometimes there's just naysayers or, oh, that person is difficult. Tell us more. What can we take away from this to make this a little easier? Well, when you think about it, influence on a, a very, very basic level can be defined as the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. That's its definition. But you know, Deb, I don't believe that that, that it's, it's essence. Okay. The essence of influence, what we would call genuine influence, the essence is pull, pull as opposed to push, as in the, the saying, how far can you push a rope? And the answer is not, or at least not very fast or, or very effectively, which is why great influencers don't push. You know, you never hear someone say, wow, that Tom or that Mary, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people. No, she has a lot of pull with people because that's what influence is. It's pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people first to themselves and only then to their ideas. This is the difference between uh, compliance, which is push, right? And commitment, which is pull. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you pull? Well, uh, you know, again, it goes back to what we were saying about people doing things for their reasons, right? Uh, Dale Carnegie, in fact, that I, I believe the basic premise of Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People was summarized in just one sentence, one magnificent sentence. And this is where he wrote that ultimately people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. And that's the first thing we need to understand. So a genuine influencer, a, a productive influencer, a powerful influencer and leader, they ask themselves questions such as, how does what I want this other person to do, how does it align with their goals, with their needs, their wants, their desires? How does what I'm asking this person to do, how does it align with their values? What problems am I helping them to solve? How am I helping bring them closer to happiness? And when we ask ourselves these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, genuinely, authentically, not as a way to manipulate another human being into doing our will, but as a way of building everyone in the process, now we've come a lot closer to earning that commitment. You know, one of my, my, one of my mentors, her name is Dondi Skumachi. She speaks to companies and teams all over the world, the biggest companies in the world. And she leads mentorship programs and team building. She, she's wonderful. And I love this, what she says. She says, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to influence, she says, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. We're going to let that sit one there. <laughs> compliance, which is what <laughs> a lot of the people that are in my circle are trained to do. Sure. That's the command and control that, that you know, has been going on since the, you know, the old days of manufacturing and, and so forth and, or, you know, Back in the, you know, when the factory started back in the 1870s and, and, and yes, so yes, forth. yes, the industrial revolution. Wow. That was hard to come up with back those days. You know, command and control was how, well, you know, we've, we've now got so much proof that that is just not the most productive way. Even if we're not talking about, you know, niceness, kindness, or all those things, just in terms of profitability, you know, you take a person like Bob Chapman, who, who wrote a great book called Everybody Matters. Bob is the chairman and CEO of a ma massive, massively huge manufacturing company called Barry Waymiller. It's out of St. Louis. And he's a guy 
who has who, who started out in that command and control, you know, bottom line type of thing. And his company was successful, but it had its ups and downs and ups and downs and so forth. And, you know, at one point he he had an epiphany and he decided to do things different. And he tells the whole story in his his, his book. He was also highlighted in the Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last. And so he he created really, he recreated his company where it truly is a family atmosphere. Now they get tens of thousands of employees and I'm telling you, it's a family atmosphere. People are committed because they know they're part of something bigger than themselves, but they also are able to grow and they're able to learn and they're able to function and they're, you know, and that's just, his company is so profitable and they've been able to move past any of the downturns. They come away stronger than ever. And anybody who is associated with him works with him, what have you, will tell you the same thing. Uh, Stephen M.R. Covey, son of Dr. Stephen Covey of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen M.R. Covey, who wrote The Speed of Trust, just came out with another book on leadership, and my mind's blank right now. Excuse me for turning my back. I'm looking to see if I can find it right there, called Trust and Inspire. And it's his newest book. It came out about maybe half a year ago. And I mean, it's just absolutely brilliant how truly great leaders unleash greatness in others, trust and inspire which is moving totally away from command and control. And there's nothing soft about this or anything. No, this is how business is done. This is how leaders lead when they really want to be effective. So I so appreciate that insight. There's so many mic drop moments and social media posts that come out of this. But that thing about inspiration versus influencing, I talk about this a lot, that influence can, you know, as you say, push people to do certain things and it may or may not work, but then you kind of betray or lose that trust. When you inspire, you get people to think differently, think for themselves, and you just become the conduit of them discovering what they're meant to do. And then they'll remember the impact of that relationship. So oh, because of Deb, because of those questions, I am inspired and I want to be part of that system. And you've validated something that's near and dear to my heart is that I too have been reaching out to hundreds of people in my network, starting from a place of curiosity about their career journey and what has worked well and what hasn't. But what it does, it gives me insight into the struggles or challenges on how can I help them? Because just putting offers into the world is not going to resonate. And I felt that. But as soon as I started putting together the drop-in collective, I'm starting to get people say, oh, that sounds interesting. That's what I need because I heard them because they, they don't want to struggle anymore. They need that community and sense of purpose and the collective. We can all help each other because I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm going to learn from everybody else. So Amazing insight. I want to go into, though, some of your other work. When you talk about endless referrals, I know that's a topic that's near and dear to you, Hart. You talk about being able to connect authentically with just feel-good questions. And I think this is so important because we're all trying to establish relationships, connect, and somehow move people without giving away everything because I want people to reach out and have book you for speaking, but those feel-good questions. How does that help you? Happy to share those. Thank you. So feel good questions. And, and let me kind of give you the, the, the background of this, the context. A lot of times when people are, you know, uh, are out there meeting new people, right? We talk about networking and, and, you know, just the word networking has with it this negative term because people think when they hear the word networking, they picture the stereotypical networking sales guy, right? The, you know, the slick talking, you know, smooth walking, slick talking sales guy who works the crowd, hands <laughs> out business cards. It says things like, hey, give me a call, I'll cut you a deal, you know, right? And all, and all those things, which, you know, isn't networking. I don't know what it is, it, but, it, you know, but it's not networking. Sounds icky. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, it, it does sound icky. Yeah. 
So I define, I personally define networking as the cultivating of mutually beneficial give and receive win-win relationships. Now, the focus has to be on the giving part. We're giving value to another person from the moment we meet them. And it's not going to be by talking about us ourselves and our product or service. You know, one of the things I learned when I first started in sales, by the way, you know, when I started to, to kind of get good at it, I realized that, you know, I could be on the phone with a prospect. Nobody, Deb, nobody hung up the phone on me while they were talking. It was really <laughs> an amazing thing. You know, now if I'm talking about myself and about my products and services, they're not interested, right? They're, if they're talking about themselves, they are engaged, right? Well, it's the same in person. It's the same in Zoom. It's the same on the phone. It's the same wherever you happen to be. And so feel good questions are simply questions. They're not salesy. They're not prospecty. They're not intrusive. They're not invasive, but they very, they very quickly enable for a, a great rapport to begin very quickly, very quickly. And again, the focus is on the other person. So when, you know, when you first meet someone, you ask them what they do, they tell you they're going to probably give you some big elevator speech. You know, I help people, right? And they're going to ask because that's what they've been trained to do, right? When they ask you, my suggestion is just tell them exactly what it is you do. That's it. You know, I'm an accountant with Ace Associates or I'm a financial advisor with Oceanside Investment Company or, you know, I'm a realtor with whatever it is, real estate. That's it. Because remember, when you first meet someone, when you first meet someone, their level of interest in you and what you do can be summarized in three words. They don't care. They care about themselves, right? So, so again, let's, let's tap into human nature and respect that, not try to fight against it. And let's focus on them. So let's say we're talking to Gary, who is the sales manager of a company that sells copying machines, right? And he's, he's sales manager, but he's also out there, you know, selling. And, and so we ask Gary these, a couple of what I call feel good questions, right? Again, they're just designed to, to very quickly create a genuine nice rapport. And we might ask Gary, so Gary, how did you get started selling copying machines? Or if we want to be a little bit more elegant, how did you get started as an office products professional? Now, this is a question that is not clever. It's not slick. In fact, it's about the most mundane question you can imagine. How did you get started in your business? But people love answering that question. Why? Because we are making them the star. We're focusing on them. Rather than try to sell them our product or service as everybody else is doing right when they meet them, we're instead focusing on them and we're we're communicating the idea that I find you someone I want to learn about, okay? And and that person is going to enjoy answering that question. It's interesting that a lot of people do have fascinating stories, but you know, you think about it, right? They just met you, and you ask them that question. They've never been asked that question before. Their own family has probably never asked them how they got started. And here's you, who they just met, asking them that question. Now, next question, second feel good question is. What do you enjoy most about what you do? Okay. Now this flies in the face of a lot of traditional sales teaching where we're supposed to immediately, you know, find their pain, reach into their heart and just tear it out. Right. So that we can come to the rescue with our terrific products and services. Right. But at this point, you know, this person doesn't know us well enough yet. The no like and trust relationship is, is, is not yet been established. And, and by the way, they may not even ever be a prospect for us, but they may know lots of other people who are. 
So we want to make them feel genuinely good about themselves. You know, find their joy. Right now is not the time to find their pain. Right now is the time to to help them identify their joy and associate that joy with with us. So those are a couple of questions. Now, I have 10 in my arsenal. You'll never, ever have time to ask all 10, ever. Two or three at the most, okay? But I, uh, what I want to suggest is asking, after you've asked a couple of the feel-good questions, to ask this next question, which is what I call the one key question. And this is not one of the feel-good questions. This is its own separate questions to be asked only after the initial rapport has begun to be established. And the question goes like this. Gary, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good potential client for you? You know, Mary, that is fascinating what you do. In case it ever comes up, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with would be a good prospective client for you? You know, what have you done when asking that question? Well, two things. One is you've continued to place your focus squarely on them. Two, the way you've asked that question, you have framed it in such a way that their answer is actually going to help you to help them, <laughs> right? You know, Gary sells copying machines. And when you ask Gary, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good you know, potential client for you? He says, uh, well, if you're ever in an office and you notice a copying machine and next to that copying machine is a waste paper basket, and that waste paper basket's filled to the rim and overflowing with crumpled up pieces of paper, that's a good sign that copying machine's been breaking down a lot lately. And that would be an excellent prospect for me. Well, Gary has just shown you how to add immense value to his life. And he appreciates the fact that you have asked and that you are interested. And you now take on extra special value to Gary. And this has been a five-minute conversation. Now, this is just, of course, the, the beginning of the whole system, you know, the endless referral system. But that's basically the beginning of how you, you bring immense value to someone through those feel-good questions. These are probably some of the best actionable tips I have ever gotten from a guest because I'm like listening and first of all, validating some of what I do because again, sales can be icky. But at the same time, I would love to ask you a question. What do you enjoy most from the work that you're doing now? I think that when you are doing something that you really just flat out enjoy and you feel it's adding value to the lives of others, and you can make a great living from it, I think that is, you know, that's happiness. Because you just seem, you are just a bundle of energy, so much insight, and you came on from the beginning just wanting to give, give, give. Now, I know that you want to be in service and give to others, and I know that you have some amazing resources all over your website, but you also have a daily resource. Please share a little bit more with our audience what that's about. We'll make sure we get it all in the show notes so that people can reach out to it. Sure. It's called the Daily Impact, and it's an email. And it's a, a fairly brief look at at something that will impact your life, whether it's in, you know, whether it's about whether it has to do with financial or physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational. It's kind of how-to in nature. And yet there's inspiration to it to have you thinking throughout the day. So we, we have a pretty good fan base with that who, who enjoy it. And it's a lot of fun to write. Yeah, I, I just signed up. I am already reaping value. But one more thing before we come to an end, you also have a podcast. Tell us how that podcast is giving to the world. I just started following it. It is amazing. Thank you. It's the Go-Giver podcast. And we've actually discontinued doing 
new sessions. So we have, I, I don't know what's a hundred and something in the archives, but it, it, it tends to be about a one or two minute thought of the day. And then I bring on a guest that, that sort of whose message relates to that thought, but isn't quite that thought because we make the guest the star, but we really have some wonderful speakers, authors, leaders, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. And they're usually anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes in length. And, and there's enough archives that I think somebody who wants to binge listen can do it and have a, a good time with it. I know I already reaped some benefits. It's actually, I believe, 181. I was listening to Bob Sager. And I, I love, again, your tagline about your role is to create value for those in your market, those that you can serve and wish to serve. And I, and I, and all of those principles, I think one of the other major th- principles from the podcast was that it's important to be self-advocating, not to be salesy as well, but let people know what the value is that you bring. Because often people in my network are not comfortable promoting oneself. But don't think about it as promoting, but self-advocacy and letting people know the value you bring, how you can serve them is a much easier way to get your voice out there and connect with the people and influence or inspire the people that you want to. So, you know, congratulations on a great resource in your podcast. This has been an amazing interview, but we've got to bring this to a close. But you have so many resources, ways to connect with you, speaking, et cetera, all the books. Any last closing thoughts for our listeners? Because I do want them, if they don't know your work, to definitely connect with you, especially the daily impact. Well, you know, I, I think one of the uh, one of my mentors from many years ago, close to 40 years ago, I remember him telling me, you know, Berg, if you want to make a, a lot of money in sales, though it can still be business leadership, what have you. He said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Your target is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, he said, you'll get a reward and that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money, whatever you choose, but never forget the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It's not the target itself. Your target is serving others. And I I think when we talk about great salesmanship or we talk about great leadership, it's never about the salesperson. It's never about the leader. You know, it's never about the product or service as important as those are. Great salesmanship, great leadership is always about the other person. It's about how you add value to the life of another human being. And really, I think that we can say, Deb, that ultimately it's about another person's life being better just because you are part of it. And I think that when we can lead or sell from that foundational premise, now we're really nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. Beautiful note to end this podcast, but hopefully the continuation of our journey together and getting to know each other. My listeners, definitely check out Bob Berg's work. You have been an amazing guest and do wish you continued success and you be well. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.